This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. You use the analogy of swimming and always following a black line. And for years and for hundreds of kilometres, you followed a black line. But life is not like that. Well, the endurance, the resilience side of it, you know, I I also talk about knowing every crack on the bottom of the pool. And it's the same in life, you know, there are cracks everywhere. But, you know, the, the climb to the top is difficult and you have to be prepared to put in the hard work, which I was. And I did it because, to be honest, I loved it. (laughs) I'm interested, what has been the worst aspect, you think, of this election campaign thus far? Oh, by a thousand million miles, the debates. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Sunday night was appalling. The shouting over each other. The shouting over each other. Where is the decorum? Where is the respect? It's just appalling. The truth will always come to light and it ain't even dawn yet. Well, Liz, what does that mean? Mm. Like, did you say it or didn't you? Several... I think take a leaf out of Lisa Curry's book, which is Tell the Truth. What is the truth? Why hasn't she just come out and denied it? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Caro, we are back. It is the week after our big live event at Bell's Hotel, and this is episode 216 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Have you recovered yet, my friend? We had a big night, didn't we, at Bell's Hotel. I so enjoyed meeting everyone. I really enjoyed all our guests. I loved having Miles there from Prince Wine Store. Loved the political He's a bit of a pin-up. He received a round of applause that was louder than your normal wine he, merchant would. He did, and some great political observations from Barry Cassidy and Heather Ewart, although not everyone enjoyed them. So we'll read those out in a moment. Thank you to Red Energy, our sponsor, and your most satisfied customers who have been that way for 12 years in a row. Thanks again to Prince Wine Store. It was great to give away some lovely bottles with Prince Wine Store. Great they've come on board to support us again. And thank you to everyone who came to our live event last week and, of course, to Breast Cancer Network Australia. Yeah, it was great, and that's why we were all there dressed in pink. We had some lovely messages on our Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pop from Jewel T. Verrett. Great listening from Brisbane. One day I'll visit Melbourne and attend one of these gatherings. Jewel, we hope you do. And um, from Fleur Bunches, my favourite town, Yakandanda. That's in relation to Heather Hewitt saying that she loved Yakandanda. And from Fleur Bunches, I'm listening to your pod Sunday morning in the drizzly, chilly Ballarat, Mother's Day, while I recover from my dance with Rona, as in COVID. Oh, I hope you're feeling better, Fleur Bunches. Um, And Susie Nathan, who is currently writing her novel on an island in Greece. Hi, Susie. One of our very keen listeners. Well, she's listening to us on Idra and she said, you must be feeling so energised by this. And Susie, I read that out because we actually did. You know, it's been two years since we had a live event, over two years. And this podcast, as everybody who listens knows, is fuelled by an inclusive, friendly, kickback, have a bit of a gag, a laugh, talk about some interesting and important issues as well. But we are a community and it was just so nice to see people there. It was great. We had a fantastic time. Not everybody was happy with us though, Caro. Margie Jean said, 
would have been better to have had a bit more balance as far as the elections go. So one-sided. Puts me off listening, really. Uh, and David McDonald, 3142, said, what a disgrace having the biased Barry and Heather on, not even trying to be impartial. Now, I will just say, not necessarily in Barry and Heather's personal defence, but just in defence of journalists of such reputation and long standing. Um, what is the role of journalists, Caro? It is to question governments. And this government, the current government, is under a bit of pressure and we are in an election campaign. And I think Barry and Heather were pretty fair in their commentary. It wasn't all bouquets for the Labor Party. But um, yes, Barry did work, and we did mention this in the podcast, he was Bob Hawke's advisor when Bob Hawke was PM back in the 80s. But he has had a you know, very long and stellar career as an impartial observer. Um, what did you think? Did you think that it was a bit of a bias evening? I've, I've found it really interesting. Um, I don't think it was as pro-Labor I think that's what they're trying to say. I, I thought, think that's what they're I saying. I thought it was yeah. the observations about the Teal candidates and why the independents have captured people's imagination and the historic reasons for that. And it was pretty, I mean, they weren't exactly complimentary about Labor too. I mean, Barry Cassidy said he hopes some of the independents get in because if Labor do win, he doesn't tr- trust them on climate change. It's an issue obviously close to his heart and it's close to mine. I do think it's quite amusing when you have a look at the News Corporation coverage over the last month. I mean, every newspaper can hang their flag to a to one party or another. But, I mean, as the Conversation wrote, it was quite a good article in the Conversation over the last 24 hours. And the headline is, as News Corp goes rogue on election coverage, what price will Australian democracy pay? And it is quite extraordinary how... I mean, they, they com- are completely backing... The coalition, they're completely backing the incumbent government, and that is absolutely fine. But um, the conversation makes a very good argument for how it's just not even pretending to be impartial and not even pretending to give any form of balanced coverage. So it'll be interesting to see the result. If Labor did get up, it would be an extraordinary, an extraordinary victory, given how much of the mainstream media is backing the coalition. So I, I think our, our little podcast has two independent journos in who I found their most interesting stuff, really, Corrie, about how much it's changed now. Yeah, and, and how wasn't much that interesting. Meaner, meaner it is. Yes, and, that's right. And bring and back politicians aren't really the same. So anyway. and, the, and the other thing I found interesting, Carol, was because Heather Hewitt is the host of Backroads on the ABC, she is um, she's really... Um, out there in the grassroots talking to people and she has such a clear view of what people are after and it's about respect and it's about integrity and it's about actually getting policy through and it's actually about doing something. Great conversation. Corrie, we're about to introduce our very special guest, but before we do, Julie Burgess, I'm so sorry I didn't know about Troy Cassadaly. You're right, Julie. He is a fabulous singer, a great Queenslander. He was a guest of Richard Feidler on Conversations, plural, not the conversation I just mentioned. Um, a few years ago, and she writes about his amazing backstory, his Indigenous and Maltese heritage. Um, Laurel, his wife, is a veteran broadcaster on Brisbane Breakfast Radio, and Jem, his daughter, what a great name for mm. the daughter of a country singer, is a rising country star. And then anyway, Julie says, I am a Queenslander and love your podcast and learn a lot about Victoria from you. Can I suggest people from Melbourne broaden their knowledge of other states? You're right, Julie. And also we have to broaden our knowledge of country and Western singers. Caro, our next guest really needs no introduction, to use that old hackneyed phrase, Lisa Curry. 
AO MBE is with us to talk about her new memoir, Lisa, a memoir, 60 years of life, love and loss. Lisa turns 60 on the weekend, which is very exciting. And we were so thrilled that she has joined us for a conversation. And some of our listeners may find some of the content a little distressing. We are talking with Lisa about the death of her beautiful daughter, uh, Jamie, a couple of years ago uh, as a result of an eating disorder. But we hope that you'll stay tuned because the conversation is really uh, enlightening and wonderful. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for doing this. We're really profoundly touched by your book. And the other thing, which we won't make a huge fuss of, but we're almost identically the same age. And I also have three kids and... I was also married at 22 and so your life has mirrored mine and to a lesser extent but certainly Caro and Caro has been a sports journalist for many years. Um, You've just been in our life and um, the Australia Story um, show was just remarkable. Lisa, congratulations on doing that. So we might talk about that first off actually. So when Jane's ready. Okay, terrific. Caro, it gives me great delight. I'm so thrilled that today's guest is one of my heroes of many years. In fact, we're almost the same age. Lisa Curry, it is so lovely to have you on Don't Shoot the Messenger. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Corey. Hi, Caroline. Nice to be with you. Lisa, uh, your new book, Lisa, A Memoir, 60 Years of Life, Love and Loss, which you have written with Ellen Winnett, is a profoundly moving uh, and and really terrific memoir. Congratulations on it. The reason Carol and I were so interested to have this conversation with you in the Zoom room um, was because we both watched Australian Story last week as we go to air now, and we were in, both incredibly moved by by your openness, um, not just about um, the the death of your um, gorgeous daughter Jamie, but also. Uh, your relationship with Grant Kenny, your first husband and life now and your swimming career, which has been so extraordinary. How did you feel uh, when it went to air? What's been the feedback that you've received? Um, Pretty much everything that you just said (laughs) from everyone. I have so many messages. I just can't get back to everybody, you know, and it's been really overwhelming and um, I just, I don't know, I feel a bit, um, I don't know, I feel a bit overwhelmed or, or a little bit embarrassed that, that it's, um, I don't know, that people have found so much in my story because I guess, you know, like you just said, people have grown up with me for, you know, 40 years, you know, when I, since, since I um, hit the spotlight, I guess, in 1982 and, and I know that over the years, you know, people love me, they like me, they loathe me, whatever, and everyone's been quite verbal about all three. So, um, yeah, it's been a long journey and sometimes I just, I don't, I, I don't understand or I don't acknowledge myself what I've done until I hear it back from other people because I just, I just do what I do, you know. There is such a thing as yes, imposter. Yeah, there, there's such a thing as imposter syndrome, and I'm not suggesting for a second that you have it or indeed deserve it. But I know exactly what you mean. Um, we had a live podcast last week, Carol and I, with a hundred plus people in a room, and we just started this little podcast as a chat between friends. And people came along and joined us for a Mother's Day uh, special event, and. I drove home that night. I said to Caro the next day, I, I felt overwhelmed. You can't kind of believe that you've had an impact on 
people's lives, I guess, but it is a shared commonality. We all, we all have it. We've all been through so much of the things that you have been through. So there's an enormous empathy and, and love in the room, don't you reckon? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing too, um, because the book, um, I called it Life, Love and Loss because it, it's my whole life and I have done so many different things, you know, from the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and everything in between and, um, you know, living life and, and, you know, being scared of life and the loves of my life, you know, my relationships, my, my sport, my work, the people I work with and then, of course, the losses of my life is I'm not just talking about, you know, my daughter and my mum, but losses of, you know, relationships, loss of identity, loss of medals, loss of business opportunities, you know. So there's a lot that, in, that it encompasses. What I um, found interesting, particularly about the Australian story, and I know you talk about this in the book, having rem- remembering so clearly 1982 and, and covered the 1990 um, Auckland Commonwealth Games where you had, I've just performed that amazing comeback as the mother of young Jamie and I remember Grant and Jamie in the pool every day and how lovely that was and you taking a stand on issues you weren't happy about in the team. Um, you just seemed to be having such a wonderful time and it seemed to me at the time that it all came pretty easy to you, Lisa, and yet you say, which interested me, that you didn't think... You were perhaps as talented as other medal-winning swimmers, but it was hard work that really got you to the point that, that you did. Um, I was really surprised by that because your talent seemed, you seemed so effortless a swimmer to me. So clearly that, that was not right. Well, looking effortless and being effortless <laughs> is two different things. You know, looking effortless comes from um, good technique, comes from control and strength. But if you saw me stand up on the blocks next to the Americans, the East Germans back in the 80s and the Chinese in the 90s, I was the smallest on the blocks. So you might have thought that I looked incredibly fit and muscular, which I was, um, but compared to them, I was like a little peewee to them. (laughs) So, you know, it's all about what you see and what you perceive, isn't it? So... Yeah, look, those those games are a lot of fun, and and these days I don't know if they'd let children run around on the on the pool deck. Um, but you know, Jamie grew up um, on pool deck. She was everyone's favourite little girl, and and uh, I remember one of the boys who saw Jamie when she was you know probably about twenty. Um, he said to her, "Oh, I I last time I saw you, your mum was changing your nappy on the <laughs> on the oh. side of the pool deck." Legs in the air and poo everywhere. So, you know, that was pretty funny. Um, Let's talk about Jamie, who died um, so sadly in September 2020, age 33. And um, I gather she had sort of suggested or had a chat with you about writing this book, putting some words down. Why did you feel it important to put down this very personal story uh, of Jamie's eating disorder battle, and which started when she was 15? Because it is really going into not just dark places of um, her life and yours, but also the whole family. Because entire families are connected when one member decides uh, no longer, you know, to stop eating. Yeah. Look, it was it was really hard, of course, um, and one of the reasons why I 
tried my best to put some things into words is because I know that that's what Jamie wanted. She, she actually wanted to write her own book. And one of my very good friends, Rosie Brown, Rosie Feidler now, um, she's a freelance journalist. She was going to come up to the coast here and, and sit with Jamie and write the book, but oh, we left it too late. You know, we always thought we had more time. Sorry. Not at all. We always, we always thought we had more time with her and we didn't get to do it. And um, so I guess, sorry, it's so hard to talk about. Um, it's so hard to put into words what you feel and it's worse to even talk about it. But I now know that, you know, the book's only been out a week. Um, hang on, just one moment. Hang on, Molly, go out, go and play with Daddy. You're annoying me, and I'm, I'm a talk. Cat or dog? <laughs> Sorry, my little puppy. I was going to say cat or puppy. <laughs> it's raining outside. She wants to come in, but she's got dirty feet. Um, I think now that the book's been out a little while, and I've been talking about it more. I've been talking about it for three weeks, and it's kind of just like reliving everything. And but I'm kind of finding that. The more I talk about it, it's getting slightly easier. Um, but knowing that the hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of messages that I've been getting of um, oh, support from other parents and from people who are struggling as well, um, that they're all saying it's really helpful. Well, it's it, Lisa, and, it's, like, it's like this uh, discussion that... Uh, really burst onto the forum, what, four or five years ago, people actually talking about mental illness. And for the first time, people were talking about it. And look how far we've come in just a short time. I mean, Caro's uh, sphere of, of, of work now is the, is, is the AFL. Who would have thought, if you'd said it 10 years ago, coaches, players will be talking about their battle with mental illness, high-profile, uh, you know, medal-winning <laughs> players, um, it's so important that we have these conversations and I think it's so important and it's so wonderful that we can hear the stories of people like you with all the emotion because it reminds us of 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 the impact, the circles, the circles of family and friends that these sorts of tragedies affect. Yeah. And, you know, over the years it did affect our family greatly and um, <clears throat> but... You know, everyone puts on a brave face and keeps soldiering on through work, through through life and, you know, behind the scenes. It's terribly difficult. And unless you have someone that um, in your household that you live with, um, it's hard for people to understand how much of a struggle it actually is. But, but, you know, our struggle and our grief is nothing compared to the struggle and the grief that people who are going through you know, mental health issues are feeling themselves where they're, you know, every single day they dread getting up. Every single day they you know, their mind is screaming out for help and no one's hearing them, you know, and it's just so hideous. And I just, I, oh, I, I feel like I've spent my life helping people and, um, you know, finding ways to do things that haven't been done before. And, but this one's really got me, you know, I can't, seem to put my finger on much but I think for me personally the more I talk about it I think um, 
the more clear I can start to be about the process and what needs to be done and what has happened um, instead of just, you know, being a bawling mess every time I talk about it. So, well, well you're not. But uh, so to, to be quite clinical about this, Jamie told you that she was purging, I think, when she was 15, um, later on became battled with alcohol as well. Um, and then obviously the, the organ failure, the hospital visits, um, it, it was very moving the way you described it on television, obviously, and, and again in your book. But but you do it in a way that, I mean, the, there's sort of the juxtaposition of living your entire life, as you say, in the public eye. Do you think, um, and, and it's a fascinating opening to the Australian story where you're going through all the women's magazines and all the ridiculous articles about you and your private life and um, how extraordinary that all was, but... In a sense, did, did it did it help living in the public eye because you've been able to do this? And I would imagine that you say that people don't like you. I would imagine that you've had an enormous amount of gratitude and um, affection as a result of speaking out about something that so many people have suffered. Has it helped being in the public eye, Lisa? Well, I think maybe... You know, all my years of swimming, I swam for 23 years. So I've been in and out of, you know, people's lives and the newspapers and magazines and TV for a long time. And, you know, I think as you grow up and you, you learn how life affects you, people, family, you know, you, you start to, um, well, I feel like I've become a voice for the people who don't have the voice. Um, and, you know, to let people know that they're not alone, to let people know that it's okay to feel the way that you feel because it's not always sunshine and roses in your life. And and if it is, then that's, you know, that's fabulous. But for a lot of people, it's not like that. You know, a lot of people lose people. They they lose their identity. They're, they find themselves single at the age of 50 and, you know, with no skills and what do they do and, you know, there's a lot of health issues with women and one of my, you know, one of my greatest loves is, is helping people. And, you know, it's with my business now that we have over half a million ladies in all of our groups that we talk to every single day. So I do understand the issues that a lot of people are going through. And now with this, you know, with losing Jamie and losing my mum only last month, it's, you know, there's a whole new, um, yeah, unfortunately, a whole new group of people that you talk to every single day. So, yeah, it's just about, I think, having that empathy for everyone. And and it makes you feel, um, makes you feel like, you know, we need to have more kindness. Um, there's so many people who are so um, negative and, and nasty and the trolls with this you know, era of social media, that when things like this happen to people, you feel so much empathy that the only way forward is kindness. Yeah, I think um, one of your problems, I guess, was that you seemed, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you just seemed so perfect. You were a brilliant athlete. You were beautiful. You had a gorgeous husband who was also famous and you had this beautiful young family and um and as you say, I think um, that probably inspired some of those rather nastier trolls. Um, t- tell us about your life now, though. Um, 
I, I gathered from watching Australian Story, you're living on a beautiful farm somewhere with your second husband and clearly a dog. <laughs> you're about to become a grandmother, I think, for the third time. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Any day now. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping the baby comes on Sunday because that's my 60th birthday. So I couldn't wish for a better birthday present. So, um, yeah, 30 years of my life was spent basically in the pool and training. 30 years of my life was spent with um, family and business. And, and now I find myself in my next 30 years. So what does it hold? It's a hard question now because life has changed for me. I've feel like I've changed as a person. Some days I don't give a shit. You know, I just I just don't care about things and particularly myself. So I have to start walking my talk. I have to start my own self-care again. And I have to start thinking about the future for me because I've been in a bit of a hole for a while. And so it takes a lot of thought process, a lot of organisation, a lot of planning and of course there's a lot of doors that are opened and if one door doesn't open it's not your door, you know, so just keep going. Now one of the things I'm really passionate about is um, travelling in a van. So my husband and I just want to get in the van with our dog and just travel around Australia. I've done it once before but there's so many places that I want to go and, you know, it's just... I think that's what life is about for me. I, you know, about traveling and experiencing things and having fun and just seeing as much of the world or, or Australia as you can. So that's what we're looking forward to. Well, you're talking to two women here who are, well, just sort of, sort of recently turned 60 and we are both grandmothers. And I think Cara would probably agree with me that this next phase or the phase that we're in at the moment is like the sum total of our parts. So everything that we have been yeah. all our lives, loving mothers, hard workers, in your case, you, you've been a businesswoman, you represented Uncle Toby's for so many years, apart from the 15 gold, seven silver, eight bronze medals. Um, and, and also you were... Um, from 2000 to 2008, you were chair of the National Australia Day Council, which is no small job in its and such an important one. I love that story you told about Steve Irwin. I mean, I remember it at the time. Was it Steve Waugh who got the got the gong in the end? Yes, he did. Yes, I mean that that brought up a whole new level of controversy when it came out two weeks ago. Um, but, you know, I can liken it to this. If I swam at the Olympics um, and came second and the first place getter was um, had a positive drug test and it was taken from them, you become the winner. So you take the win regardless of the circumstances. You just, just take the win because, um, unfortunately for Steve Irwin, though, you know, we, we thought he had time to re-nominate, which we wanted him to do, Um but that didn't happen, so very sad in the end. Yeah, well, so ob obviously he, there, there was that controversial um, bit of film with himself and the crocodile and his baby. Um, you you basically said you wish you'd stared down. That was the way I read it. wish you'd stared down the rest of the committee and, and given it to him with hindsight. Well, it was my decision in the end because I was chairman, so I was in direct contact with the Prime Minister at the time and we just felt... Um, we, we felt that he could renominate, and yep. 
you know, when it all died down. Um, but the press crucified him and the, the public crucified him as well. So, you know, it, it, at the time it was the right thing to do. Um, but now that I'm older and <laughs> seemingly wiser, um, you know, sometimes you, you feel like you can stand up for yourself a little bit better and not worry about what other people think. What a, du- what a double-edged sword, Corrie, that Australian of the Year has become. Can, can I ask you just briefly about your own parents? And you spoke about your mum and losing her and obviously it would have been would have been an absolutely i'm sure a very an awful mother's day in many ways for you although you've still got beautiful jet and morgan and your grandchildren um you write quite mm. openly too about your parents relationship which sounds really tough mm. and must have been tough to recall yeah look that was tough as well because you know you have this tug of war going on between your parents and and I know mum said just in January, she just said, why are you, why are you writing about your father? And I said, well, mum, because he's my dad. That's, you know, it's part of my life. That's what happened. And he was supportive and, of your swimming you know, career I, too, Lisa, wasn't he? He was supportive and, and although he only saw you swim a few times, but um, he was proud yeah. of you, you've heard. Yeah. He was, of course he was proud of me. And, and, and you know, it's a shame that he didn't see my greatest moments in the pool. Um, so what, you know, what, when I spread his ashes over in Ireland, when I went over for who you think you are, I felt this amazing connection, um, with dad and I, you know, learning his story and what type of person he was. And, you know, I, I just, you know, two young people in love, you know, mum had, I think it only had one boyfriend before that, but how, how, how someone can do that to another human being, but. That's why I talk about, you know, alcohol is a curse for some people. You know, we might be able to sit down and have a glass of wine at dinner and that's it. You know, but one or two or three or bottles, you know, people become funny or they pass out or they become obnoxious or they become violent. You know, and it depends on how much and what the people are and what the circumstances are. And unfortunately, mum was on the receiving end of, you know, the violence part of alcohol. So alcohol has a lot to answer for. You know, it ruins so many lives. And poor old mum, you know, she was still seeing a psychologist at the age of 86. I mean, you know, she should be able to enjoy her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, not have to worry about that. But it was very confronting having to listen to her stories. um, Only, well, it was only like six weeks before she passed away. Well, you asked her to write, or she offered to, um, she wrote a letter to you, um, which I wonder whether that was cathartic for her. Yeah, I think it was. It was 18 pages long and it detailed in there a lot of things that I had never known about before. And um, I know that she sent it to my brother and sister as well. And I know my brother still hasn't read it. He just, he, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to know the details. And it's hard because you love your parents. Um, and it's hard. This is why, I mean, oh, the tug of war between the love and dislike of what happened in that yeah, it's, you know, there were there were quite a few hard chapters to write and how to write them and how to um, how to word it in a way where, you know, you love your father but you don't 
love what he did. Can I say, Lisa, I think you, know, you, I think you nailed it. You know, you, you talk about, for example, when you were 18, you um, terminated a pregnancy because, as you said, uh, you, you were only 18 and you didn't want to be a mother. Um, you talk about your, your parents' relationships. You talk about the highs uh, of, 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 and the joy of meeting Grant and your marriage together and then why marriages, some marriages sometimes just run out of puff, but um, that you and he, th- through uh, the last few months of Jamie's life, were able to kind of, I, I had the feeling anyway as a reader that you, you sort of came together again, um, that there was a, a newfound kind of love that was born. I think the way you write, Lisa, is very, it's the way you speak. And Carol and I have done lots of journalism, you know, coaching and mentoring over the years. And our, our um, advice is always just write as you speak because it is so sincere. It's mm. the most sincere form of memoir. It's a, and that's why it, for me it's a really beautiful book. Yeah, and I think too, when you're honest about things, there's nowhere else to go. That's that's how it is. You know, you don't have to try and remember anything. You don't have to try and cover anything because it is what it is. And I, I learned that a while ago, you know, with the magazines even, when they were making up these stupid, stupid stories about us. And then, you know, after about, you know, 10 covers on the magazine where those making up things, I decided to do a story with them and I told the truth and I was honest and they stopped, they stopped harassing me. <laughs> so, yeah, because there was nothing more to say. There was nothing more to make up because what I said, and that's why I'm so happy that the book is, was in my, t- in my time, in my words, and it's in context. So you don't, you know, skip chapters. You go from page one to page 344 and because everything um, everything um, happened, happened and then it goes on to the next thing. It goes straight ahead, up, down, sideways. You know, it was never a straight line and should be read as such, read in context because, you know, there are a lot of sliding door moments. You use the analogy of swimming and always following a black line and for years and for hundreds of kilometres you followed a black line but life is not like that. Well, the endurance, the resilience side of it, you know, I, I also talk about knowing every crack on the bottom of the pool and it's the same in life, you know, there are cracks everywhere. And But, you know, the, the climb to the top is difficult and you have to be prepared to put in the hard work, which I was. And I did it because, to be honest, I loved it. <laughs> as funny as that sounds, to swim up and down that black line I think it was about 40,000 kilometres and love every moment of it. That just says it all for me. If you want to be successful at something, you have to love. You actually absolutely have to love what you do. So and that's, the, you know, that's sorry. what I'm doing now with my business. I absolutely love what I do, talking to people every single day. We help ladies every single day. And my business partner and I, we started the Happy Healthy You company about seven years ago. And, you know, we just, we just love helping people. That's, that's what we do. Lisa, the book, um, your memoir is Lisa, a memoir, 60 years of life, love and loss. I urge you all too to have a sneak peek of ABC iView because it's a brilliant Australian story. As we let you go, has it, has it helped ultimately writing it? Absolutely, because um, I don't have to rely on my menopausal brain to remember my life now. I can just <laughs> refer, to, refer to page whatever to remember something. <laughs> No, it's nice. It's nice to have it all down on paper and, you know, there's still more things to come, but it's a beautiful book and, um, you know, the, the publishers and Ellen were fabulous because 
you know, mum was in the last week or two and I just said, I can't do anything. I have to sit with mum. And even sitting with mum in her last days, I was getting text messages. Can, can you read chapter so-and-so and just proofread, make sure it's okay? And I, and I just said, I, I can't today. And so they were running around doing all the work for me, which was fabulous because otherwise I, I couldn't have got it done because I just wasn't, I just wasn't in the place to be able to do it. But um, I'm very proud of it. Um, I know that it's helping a lot of people. And, um, you know, you know, I thank my publishers and my co-writer, Ellen. Like, they're just fabulous. Depending on Morgan's baby, forthcoming baby, what are you going to do on the actual day of your 60th? What are your plans? Well, I've decided I'm going to have a 60th year, birth year, not a 60th birthday. So um, I am going to milk it. Uh, for everything that's worth. Yeah, have a festival. Have a festival, Lisa. <laughs> a festival. Uh, well, you know what? To be honest, I don't even know what's happening on my birthday because my husband likes surprising me. So this morning he gave me a card. He took me out to lunch yesterday and said, your, birth, your birthday's already started. Um, and then he gave me a card this morning for our anniversary, which is actually tomorrow. I said, well, why don't you give it to, to me tomorrow? He said, I can't wait. I want you to have it now. Um, so he's got something special lined up, and I have no idea what it is. It's all a surprise. So, Well, we wish you a happens. very happy birthday from Caro and myself. As Caro said, Lisa, a memoir, 60 Years of Life, Love and Loss, Lisa Curry with Ellen Winnett, and it is published by HarperCollins. It is a wonderful book. Lisa Curry, AO, MBE, star of the pool, businesswoman, incredible mother, grandmother. You don't look 60, Lisa, by the way. <laughs> you look just like you did, like you look 30 in the screen as we look at you. But thank you oh, so there's much. There's plenty of wrinkles. Don't worry about that. But, oh, you know, we're, we're so. I have my, my own. I have my own skincare um, range now because Happy Healthy You, we have all of our happy products, of course, happy hormones. Happy greens, turmeric, happy calm, happy skin as well. And it's actually a really beautiful product and I think my skin looks better. But don't be fooled, everybody, because, you know, as uh, when we put photos up of ourselves on Instagram or social media, we don't put the shit ones on. That's true. You know, we might take 100. <laughs> we put the best one on. But also it's all about lighting. My photographer is amazing and, um, you know, he always jokes to me and he says his purpose on life is to make me look good. <laughs> well, so, I think you know, I think he, you have your come, your inner beauty comes out as and and your soul comes out just as it does in this book and I know I just know Lisa that this book of yours is generating hundreds of important conversations around Australia. So and I hope they continue and I hope that you find some sort of nourishment and replenishment in those conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today on Don't Shoot the Messenger. Yeah, thanks so much, Corey and Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Absolutely wonderful chatting to you. I hope we, the rain yeah, stops too. We're, we're going to push we're this. Based. We're in Melbourne, so we've had the most beautiful weather. Um, we're, Sydney we're, and Queensland, oh. not so, but we're just in a, the most amazing, beautiful autumn. I'm just looking out the window here. We're in a studio in um, South Melbourne where we do the podcast every week. So, yeah. Well, it's been pouring rain for like two days here, so everything's wet and muddy. <laughs> oh, God. That's why I won't let the dog in, but she somehow found her way in here with her dirty feet because I just mopped the floor. Good luck with Morgan's baby and um, all the best for the 15th. Yeah, and have a great birthday. Thank yes, you, Lisa. So much.
Caro, on to book, screen and food. And we have talked about our book of the week, which is Lisa Curry's wonderful memoir, on to screen. And you've been watching something that you're very excited about. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, the Offer. I mentioned it last week um, on our live podcast at Bell's Hotel. It's the story of the making of The Godfather as seen through the eyes of Al Ruddy, who um, produced the film, an unbelievable story about how this film came about. There's lots of different stories intertwined through The Offer. Just think Hollywood, just think New York. Documentary style? No, 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 no. It's a story. It's a okay. drama. Right. Um, so Miles Teller plays Al Ruddy, who, of course, um, was working in um, oh, film insurance or something like that. And he had this idea for a sitcom, Hogan's Heroes. And that's how he got, got it, first got his name in Hollywood when he came to live in L.A. And then, of I course... I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. Then I loved Hogan's Heroes. I well, did. Well, Even though it was an all-male cast. Well, it's very funny listening to him pitch pitch Hogan's Heroes and how it came about. He then, look, he was at a, a movie one night with his girlfriend who, um, I mean, and her story is absolutely brilliant too. She, um, she owned the Shadow Marmont in, a, in LA. So look, it, it, it's just a great story about America in the early 70s, really. But it also is a lot to do with Italian-Americans, the Italian-American League, the huge opposition, I suppose, the, the mafia had to the making of The Godfather, Frank Sinatra's f- fury at the singer that he was absolutely convinced was based on him, how they got Brando, the young, the very, very young and little-known theatre actor Al Pacino, how he came to be par- came to be cast. But one of the more interesting performances is by Matthew Good, the English actor who plays Robert Evans. So he, he plays this, you know, absolutely high-flying studio boss... He's an um, actor who frequently is on other side of the channel and changes his accent completely. Yes, I remember well, he was in that show. Was it Mothers and Sons and Daughters or the one with um, well, Sally was, Field as the mother? Is that him? Um, well, he was in the Guernsey Literary yeah, yeah, Potato yeah, yeah. Peel Society and he was, of course, in Downton Abbey. Yeah, he's he's been in all manner of things. But he plays Robert Evans, who at the time is going out with Ali McGraw and Ali McGraw's character in it is, is really fascinating as well. And Al Ruddy goes to him and gets a job, and his first film is a bit of a, a bit of a failure. He goes, um, he actually goes out to, I think they're filming in somewhere in Mexico, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and he convinces Robert Redford to be in a film, Little Force and Big Halsey, which is a bit of a flop, a motorcycle film basically. And then he gets The Godfather, and Mario Puzo, I suppose, is one of the, one of the main, sort of characters in the story has written all these failed novels and then he then he comes up with this book The Godfather and Dan Fogler who plays Francis Ford Coppola who again is little known but it's those two sitting in Hollywood trying to write this script and what goes on. Look Corrie I've watched four episodes and it seems to have finished for the moment and I don't know whether there's going to be another series but it's on Paramount Plus. I absolutely implore you to watch it. Oh, I will be there. The and can, script is just brilliant. Can I just apologise? I had my Matthews mixed up. I, of course, was thinking of Matthew Reese, who was in, 
I really loved it, actually, that show Brothers and Sisters. Oh, yes. With, Do you remember with Rachel... Um, Griffiths and yeah, Sally Field. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So no, I'm sorry, I got my Matthews no, mixed Matthew up Matthew Good there. is in a... Yes, Downton Abbey. As soon as you said Downton Abbey, I know, I know who you mean. He, he pops up in the odd, you know, Poirot. He's, you know, he's been in a lot of films, but um, the Guernsey Literary Potato Pill Society, he plays a literary agent. And um, he's a fantastic actor. He was shocked when he got offered this role, and he absolutely nails Robert Evans. He overacts, over-eggs it a bit, but it's absolutely brilliant. Great. You're going to love it, the so, offer. So that's on Paramount. Can't wait to watch that. Uh, Caro, I'm, I'm, my recipe today is from our Scrabble weekend uh, because you, unless you were being overly polite and you didn't really like it at all. Not the plum cake. Everybody seemed to love the plum we cake. We love the plum so cake. So this is from Ostro, the first cookbook by Julia Bazutal Nishimura, who is the Melbourne cook who is, everybody knows her as Ostro, but um, her two cookbooks have been bestsellers and this is her first one. And as you said, or maybe it was actually Francesca, I think it might have been, maybe both of you said it, she really rocks a good cake. And I must say, all, she does. all Julia's recipes are terrific, but she does make beautiful cakes. And this one, a nice plum cake, was delicious. We served it with, uh, with cream and the plums at the moment, or when we cooked that three or four weeks ago, they were absolutely perfect. So I won't go into the recipe because there's a fair bit of it here, but it does have a crumble topping which really I think gives it a bit of a bit of well, it does give it a bit of crunch, but it just gives it a bit of excitement on the top. And of course the plums sit in there um, all proud and puffed up and it is beautiful to look at and it's also beautiful to taste. So we will put that on the show notes, Caro, because it is a winner as a winter pudding. Uh, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy 131806? And as Jane wheels in the trolley, it's time to welcome Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store to the studio. Miles, first of all, did you imagine that 100 mostly women at Bell's Hotel would actually be swooning in your presence last week? It's <laughs> <That's> very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Don't over-exaggerate, Corrie. Got a few photos and... I saw you doing a few pap <laughs> I was shots. trying to get to the front to say goodbye. <laughs> you were being mobbed. About five times. <laughs> That's what I mean, you're being mobbed. But look, it was great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Mm, And don't forget, everybody, as Miles talked about last week, the May special, Miles' selections for May, which is a Pinot selection of a dozen. Pinot mixed dozen, yeah. Yeah, is um, is certainly on my shopping list. We're talking about another variety of red today, though, Cabernet. Mm, Are you a fan of Cabernet, Cara? Oh, look, there's not many wines that I don't like. And I'd go for a Pinot first if I was having... A red wine, but a good Cabernet with a nice piece of steak. In fact, mm-hmm. I had a glass at Bellotta's mm-hmm. last week after the podcast when um, a few of us were having red meat um, as our main course. What a lovely restaurant that is. So good. So tell us about the Cabernet I should have ordered. Well, I've, got, I've got two. I've got yep. two. I thought I'd do. So one from Beechworth from Adrian Rodder. I don't know if you know Adrian Rodder at all. He He's a sort of youngish winemaker. Worked at Oak Ridge for 10 years, so he's got a lot of experience. And then he moved to Beechworth in 2010 or something like that. So he's been there for a while. Um, and he makes fantastic wine. Everyone's A lot of people know him for his Chardonnays, which are brilliant. He makes three from a couple of different regions. But his reds are fantastic, and they're often overlooked, I think. And the Cabernet is awesome. So it's a Beechworth Cabernet. It's blended with some other bits and pieces as well, Malbec and I think a couple of other little things. 
Um, and it's just a wonderful, I guess, mid-weight style cabinet. It's not big blockbuster sort of, you know, super tannic, big sort of style. It's much more, more medium weight, lovely sort of lush fruit, still lovely structure to it. So it has that drying tannin, which is great for sort of, like you say, with, with steak or with nice meat. Um, but really sort of elegant as well. One of my favourite uh, wine-growing mm. regions. Beechworth? Yeah. And it's so fun to go up there. Well, we, we have so to many do great it. wines. We, we have to yeah, do well, it, Carol. We spoke about Yakidanda <laughs> yeah. on the podcast last oh, week. Oh, okay. And that beautiful mm. town is right next door. So the name of the Cabernet by Adrian Rodder. So A-Rodder, Cuvée yep. de Chez, or Cuvée de Chase, I think. They had to change it. It used to be Cuvée de Chez, C-H-E-Z, and... That didn't make sense. So it's now it's cuvée de chasse, which is a French term. A rodder. A rodder. So a rodder. Can we get that at Prince Wine Absolutely. Store? How much do it's we on pay the shelves for it? fairly permanently. Yeah. So that one is thirty nine before your discount, of course, for the potties. Brilliant. That's and that's th- um that's uh that is a nice bottle of wine. That's a nice price if you're going to someone's house really and wanted to take something uh, yeah. special. And now that the weather's kind of, I thought Cabernet would be good because the weather's a bit a bit cooler. And, and where, where do we travel from Beechworth for our so, second? So off to Margaret River. Oh, yeah. So classic, Long trip. classic Cabernet sort of region. Um, but again, a young winemaker, Joe Perry, um, for Dormalona. I don't know if anyone's heard of Dormalona. So she's sort of, I guess she's been making wine for, for most of her life. And um, again, a sort of young gun winemaker, sort of as we talk about them. And so doesn't I don't think she owns any vineyards, so sources everything. But this is her we, this is her latest cabernet that we tried. She has a clay face cab, which is her top one, and this is her I guess her like her estate one. Um, and we tried this last week, and we were just we just loved it. Lovely like lush fruit, very sort of pretty. Again, more of that mid weight style cabernet as well, not that big sort of full mm, body. A, a good one for a Sunday lunch, rather. Yeah, than... it's kind of we sort of talk about some of these cabernets at work. We call them luncheon clarets. Um, almost as a bit of a joke, but you know that that little more sort of not full bodied. You just you could you could have it at lunch quite quite happily. They're not huge big wines like maybe Cabernet used to be. Um, so it has all that Margaret River sort of luscious fruit, um, and she's a sort of minimal interventionist winemaker. So just a little bit of sulphur, no additions, no chemicals. Wouldn't it be lovely no added to have bits and pieces? It, we've talked so. about having an event at Prince Wine Store, having a podcast mm. event. It would be lovely to do Young Guns as a as a theme, wouldn't it? Well, there is a Young Guns of Wine um, competition that's run every year already. So we used to be we used to be part of it. We used to be the retail partner. We're not anymore, but um, it was awesome. It was really great, and we've met a lot of those winemakers through the Young Guns um, program, I guess you'd call it. But it runs every year, so it's it's really cool. But we're going to start our own the. The young pistols of wine, or oh, well, rival, <laughs> rival you. So, so the, we have talked about doing it. The tasting. young pistols. I think we should think of another name. I uh, know. I'll let you. You, yeah. you can come up with. So some we're other. planning a beautiful <laughs> semi-autumnal, almost wintry Sunday lunch. We're mm. buying the A Rodder for thirty nine dollars. Although we'll get a discount from that if we mention "Don't Shoot the Messenger" or Absolutely. put "Me Double S" on the promo code. Absolutely. And what about the? The Margaret River. The, the Dormalona is uh, 48, so it's a little more expensive, but it's a fantastic wine. We were really sort of just, you know, ooing and ahhing, which is like, oh, this is just delicious. Okay. Straight up delicious. It's special, really special Special event wine. Thank you, Miles. No That's problem. fabulous. Thanks, yeah. Miles. That was Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Um, you can um, 
as Miles said, you can access the Don't Shoot the Messenger page at princewinestore.com.au. Type in the code MEWS to receive the special podcast listener discount. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. Caro, you are grumpy. What are you grumpy about today? Liz Cambridge. I am, um, and, and one specific area to do with Liz Cambridge and this extraordinary story that um, has escalated in the last few days because of Jenner O'Hay, the former Australian basketball captain, the former recently retired Opals captain, who revealed on the Offsiders on Sunday, on Mother's Day, the re- her truth as to why her reasoning, why Liz Cambridge left the Australian Olympic team at very short notice. I think the reasons cited were mental health. It was a week before the Olympics. Kelly, I was on the show with Kelly Underwood, and you you could really hear a pin drop when Kelly, who had basically found out, and this has never been revealed up until now, that Liz Cambridge made a comment to um, one of the Nigerian players in a warm-up game, pre-Olympic warm-up game in Las Vegas, go back to your third world country. Now, um, Liz Cambridge herself has some Nigerian heritage. One of her Opal's teammates was Nigerian. This led to a brawl, basically, between some of the Nigerian players and Liz Cambridge. She ended up, look, a lot of the allegations never came to light. Well, none of that ever came to light. She left the team. She's now playing in Los Angeles. Um, her nickname over there is Liz Angeles. Big article in the Los Angeles Times just recently. What was the reason they gave at the time for her leaving the Opals? Mental health. Okay. And there was a couple of, I think she had to front up to some sort of disciplinary hearing. Most of the charges were dropped. What has been annoying about this, and it was quite amazing, really, that this has only come out now. She'd given an interview on the ABC saying she never really felt supported by um, the Australian team and by the Opals, and she felt much safer and more supported now that she's playing basketball over in the US. It's interesting, uh, Magic Johnson actually owns her team, and after after Jenna O'Hay basically said to Kelly Underwood that those comments were 100% correct, We heard nothing from Liz in her social media. We heard nothing for nearly 24 hours. Very unusual. In fact, it was Magic Johnson who tweeted in her defence. Again, really interesting. Um, I actually asked Jenna O'Hay, who was quite emotional about all of this and and who had been very close to Liz Cambridge, and basically her job had been to try and control her and support her. Would Liz ever play for Australia again? And she said no. She was quite definitive. And they have not spoken since. It's been a very, very bitter falling out. So Liz Cambridge comes out in the last few hours, just before we've gone to air, Corrie, with this podcast, saying it's always, um, oh, it was a very sort of weird sort of tweet. He always puts out these, here we go, the truth will always come to light and it ain't even dawn yet. Well, Liz, what does that mean? Mm. Like, did you say it or didn't you? Several. I think take a leaf out of Lisa Curry's book, which is Tell the Truth. Just get it out, get the story out there. I think we're talking about two fairly fairly different characters. But anyway, um, Andrew Gaze has had his say. He's absolutely smashed her on his show on SEN, just saying that she had more support than anyone, you know, could have ever given her and it's a two-way street, et cetera. Um, you couldn't even talk to her on her own without her manager. So, look, um, what is the truth? Why hasn't she just come out and denied it? It's clearly true and, in fact, it's been put out publicly now by some of basketball's biggest names that what she said was in fact far worse and that was only the tip of the iceberg. So Liz, I think um, maybe Dawn has 
arisen for you and it's a really sad ending to... Goodness, um, isn't it a sad ending to what was a terrific career? Well, I mean, her, her career Although her career is continuing, but, but yes, sad, sad that it's ended for, for her and the Opals in that way. But not with Australia. Now, um, and great journalism by Kelly Underwood, as ever. Six quick questions, Corrie, for Red Energy. Do you want to kick us off? I will. I'm interested. What has been the worst aspect, do you think, of this election campaign thus far? Oh, by a thousand million miles, the debates. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Sunday night was appalling. Well, a lot went wrong with the voting system, the shouting over each other. The shouting over each other. Where is the decorum? Where is the respect? It's just appalling. I thought there was some... um, Both candidates, bad bad men, bad men, men behaving badly. Pretty nasty comments, too, by Mark Latham about the um, convener, um, about the moderator. But look, honestly, and and what a... What a... Oh, gee, what a person he is. But, um, you know, look, the debates haven't really worked. Interesting, they've shunned the ABC, particularly um, the incumbent, particularly Scott Morrison, just won't do a debate on the ABC. Anthony Albanese has said he will, but Scott Morrison obviously has said no, he's not going anywhere near the ABC. So if Anthony Albanese wants to debate, he has to he has to perform like he did on at Ch- on Channel 9 on Sunday night, which I still don't understand why they had to become so shrill and so argumentative. It sounds like um, on both of the debates, and this has been actually written even in News Limited, although buried, that they believe Albanese won both debates, but I don't think we got much out of either candidate, really. And Corrie, back to you. What's been the best aspect of the campaign? I have to say that I agree with... Barry and Heather, Barry Cassidy and Heather Hewitt last week. I think the Teal candidates, as they are now known, putting up their hands. But particularly, I'm really happy that this election campaign has thrown forth so many women, so many women of quality, not just going for a House of Reps seat, but also like our friend of the pod, Jane Caro in New South Wales, who's going for a Senate seat there. But to have people of the calibre of Zoe Daniel, who is putting her hand up for Goldstein, and Allegra Spender, daughter of Carla Zampatti in Sydney, and Kalia Tink and Sophie Scamps, and of course, um, Monique Ryan in Kuyong, who could actually be the one who knocks off Josh, Josh Frydenberg. But these candidates, these women are reminding people that uh, that gender equality, it, it, that parliament has to represent what the rest of Australia looks like in all its its gender and all its colour and all its ages and interests and their particular interest is the environment and they're all so passionate about that. So I think that has provided enormous interest and um, colour and movement to this campaign. So well done, women. Carol, what was the best thing you saw at the footy over the weekend? Adam Goods standing in the middle of the MCG and being cheered. Sorry, of the SCG and being cheered. I did enjoy seeing Dustin Martin at the MCG too, but no, it was um, suggested that maybe Adam Goods wouldn't take part in the Swans premiership celebrations, the decade, 10-year premiership celebration, that he, he might go to the parties, but not to the on-ground celebration. But he did. Um, it's the first time he's been back on a football arena since his last pretty sad game, which was also in New South Wales in a final, and um, it was great to see Corrie, what was your favourite viewing highlight this week? Well, I feel like I'm a stuck record. How often do I mention Australian Story, Carol? Indeed, we spoke about it earlier in this uh, in this episode with Lisa Curry. This week's 
uh, can I just tell everybody to jump onto iView? It is the story of Bon Scott, the lead singer of ACDC, who rather late in his career, although he was only in his late 20s, but in rock and roll in the 70s, that was considered ageing. He uh, rediscovered his rock and roll persona through a young band called ACDC and the rest, as we know, is history. Tragically died um, of alcohol poisoning. Uh, But for the first time, his brother Derek talks about Ronnie, because that was his name, Uh, Ronnie and what a a lively, bright, cheery childhood he had, uh, what a lovely child he was. And then he got into some bad company. He had a stint in prison where uh, he learnt how to play the drums and started singing. And he came out and turned his life around, joined a band, uh, travelled to England with that band. When that fell apart, he was working as a labourer, but that's when he found ACDC. I found I found it one of the most interesting Australian stories I've seen in a long time. Did you see it? Yeah, I, I have watched it. Um, I watched it um, after the event on iView. Oh, I found it very sad. Such a waste. Such a I waste. I mean, it, you know... He, he was such an unbelievable performer. They remain the biggest rock and roll act in the world. And, um, you know, that Back in Black tour that, you know, came came about after he died. And it, it's interesting that, you know, his replacement, you know, is a big part of the show. And, and I agree, though, the brother who says this will be the first and last interview I ever give yeah. and I'm only doing it because I'm the last man standing and That's someone right. has to remember Ron or Bon um, no, a terribly sad story and a horrible ending. Great no. to hear Angus Young's um, interview. It was from, I think, 2009, was it? It was a long time ago. But that was great as well. No, I thought that was fantastic. Caro, Daphne du Maurier, our hero. Her birthday is on May the 13th. What is your favourite Daphne novel? Look, obviously, Rebecca, which um, isn't only one of the great films from the David Selznick studio, Alfred Hitchcock film. Absolutely brilliant film, but it's a wonderful novel has so many different genres in the one novel. It's spawned so many famous sayings and that opening line last night, I dreamt I went back to Mandalay. Um, But I will give a special mention to The King's General, just a a wonderful historic novel where men are Billy, Daphne de Maurier's house for all those years in Cornwall, rates a mention that starts in the 1700s, um, English Civil War, absolutely wonderful romance novel as well. They're my two favourite. And Corrie, you're going to leave us with an amazing fact. This is a super quick fact and it acknowledges everybody who's listening to us. In the month of April, Don't Shoot the Messenger had 66,000 downloads. Oh, it's a bit showy-offy, isn't it? Well, <laughs> probably. <laughs> hey, who's going to tell the world if we don't? <laughs> True. I'm saying it more as a not so much like, aren't we great? I'm saying it as, uh, aren't our listeners great? And isn't it wonderful the way, and I noticed this with all the discussions and chats and the people we met on Thursday, how many of them say, I've told my mother slash sister-in-law slash bridge group slash book club gang, I've told them all to listen to you. And seriously, guys, without you telling your friends or giving us those star ratings on Apple iTunes, we would have, we would just be talking as we walk around the Albert Park Lake or something when we're just banging on to each other with no no one but the dogs listening to us, which is not such a bad way to be anyway. But um, thanks, everybody. Uh, When Miss Jane um, gave us those figures, I was pretty blown away, Janie. That was some... We felt very good when you sent that to us. Oh, and every week we have new listeners as well because I can see how many people listen to how many episodes. So welcome. If this is the first time you're listening because someone said, you've got to listen to these ladies, 
Welcome. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Stick with us. So that's my amazing fact, Carol. Yes, it is a bit of a pat on the back, but look, who cares? We're in that kind of a, um, a mood where we're feeling pretty good about ourselves today after such a fun event last week. So that was our episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. As you know, you can get in contact with us if there's anything you'd like to say or comment upon via our uh, email, which is uh, uh, feedback at don't shoot. Is that right, Jane? Correct. Feedback, feedback at don't shoot pod.com.au. And, of course, another way you can connect with us is via our Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod. You can leave little messages there. Thank you to Red Energy. Thank you to Prince Wine Store. And, Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland. Created in partnership with Graceland, this Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.